Eliyahu came to end a three-year drought and to decide who is the true God without leaving a doubt. Prophet versus prophet, what would transpire? The bull, water, woods, and stones were consumed in a holy fire. So this week's Parsha is Parsha Kitetze, uh, sorry, Parsha uh, Kitisa. And it is, um, we, we read the Haftorah from the book of Melachim. And interestingly, this Haftorah is very rarely read because um, normally Kitisa is around the time of, of uh, Purim, and you read the Purim Haftorah, not uh, the Haftorah for Kitisa. So, but this year is, um, th- this year we read it probably because it's a, uh, a leap year. So, and it is definitely a fascinating narrative in this week's Haftorah. So the Parsha of Kitisa talks about the Eagle Hazav, the, the golden calf, and the sin of the golden calf. The fact that when the people miscalculated uh, Moshe's time on Harsinai, they thought that he wasn't coming back, and as they needed an, an intermediary between them and God, so they built a golden calf. They built an idol, and they started worshiping it, and um, they fell victim to basically becoming uh, idolaters. And similarly here, we have a similar story where the people um, fall into basically an idolatrous lifestyle. They are worshiping uh, many, many idols uh, that are against the, you know, and, and um, actually, they, interestingly, they're worshiping idols sort of in conjunction with uh, worshiping God. And the prophet um, Eliyahu, the prophet Elijah, did not like that <laughs> and, um, and set to, to put an end to it with a very dramatic story that we read about in this week's Haftorah. So what's interesting, just as a little backdrop to the Haftorah, so you have King Ahav and his wife, um, Izavel. And uh, interestingly, that the queen's name is Izavel, and you know, I guess Queen um, Isabel or Queen Isabella is a relatively common name even uh, in, in those times in that part of the world. Um, but King Ahav was Jewish, and he married a non-Jewish queen, King Izavel. Oh, sorry, Queen Queen uh, Isabel and Queen Isabel was a horrible woman. She uh, basically she was a, an idolater, and she was on a mission to kill basically every um, Jewish prophet that there was. When she found a Jewish prophet, she would she would kill him. Um, so what's interestingly what's interesting is as I said, there was this mix at the time between with the worship of idols, but also the worship of God at the same time. This sort of uh, the, 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 a mix of worshiping practices, partially Jewish, but also with a strong influence of uh, Canaanite um, idolatry. And there's no better sort of uh, picture of this, um, of this conjoining of these two disparate religions by the fact that King Ahab, a Jewish king, married a non-Jewish queen, an idol worshiper, Queen, queen uh, Isabel. And during, their, during King Ahab's rule, uh, the people would, as I said, they would worship both God, they would worship you know, Jewish practices. At the same time, uh, they would worship the um, idolatrous 
uh, practices of Baal, which was the uh, which was the uh, the the idol um, at the time that they that they worshipped. So okay, so getting to the story of the Haftorah. Um, so six hundred years after the story of the golden calf, that's when this happens. Um, so Eliyahu, the prophet Eliyahu, was told by Hashem to go to King Ahab and tell him that the three-year drought would come to an end. And the reason they were in a three-year drought, this was sort of a godly sent drought in order to punish King Ahab and the Jewish people, um, to punish them to basically so that they would do teshuva, so that they would repent and, um, and, and ultimately only worship, exclusively worship God and not worship the other idols. Um, so God punished them with a three-year drought, but Eliyahu came to tell them that the three-year drought would end. So um, King Ahab, he had a servant named Ovadia, who interestingly, Ovadia, the meaning of Ovadia means servant of God. Um, and uh, he must have, he was also a servant to, uh, to King Ahab. But again, it's another example where the people, while they worshipped idols, they also did some things that were Jewish. King Ahab knew how great a person Ovadia was, how much of a tzaddik, how much of a righteous person his servant was. And that's why he had him as his right-hand man. That's why he chose Ovadia, because of his close connection uh, to God. Even though they worshipped idols, there was sort of this this conglomeration, this this mix. Um, so, anyways, so Ovadia, uh, according to the Gemara, the Gemara says that Ovadia was even more righteous than Avraham Avinu, than the famous Avraham in the Torah. Um, that Ovadia was such a righteous person, and that's why King Ahab chose him to be his right hand man. And um, Ovadia, he the the Haftorah says that Ovadia. He saved a hundred Nevi'im, he saved a hundred prophets from the wicked queen um, Isabel. And uh, and basically because Isabel, as I mentioned, Isabel tried to kick to, tried to kill all of the Jewish prophets, so Ovadia went and put fifty prophets in one cave, fifty prophets in another cave, and basically gave them food and drinks, etc., in order to in order that they would be able to hide in secrecy away from uh, Queen Isabel, and they would be able to uh, survive her, um, her, her, uh, her decree that they should all be killed. Um, so, anyway, so Ahab tells um, Ovadia to go out and find a spring or a stream, this because this was during the drought, to go out and find uh, some kind of water in order to keep the livestock away. So while Ovadia was out looking for water, um, Eliyahu came up on Ovadia, so he found, uh, Eliyahu uh, addressed Ovadia alone, and Eliyahu said, Eliyahu told Ovadia, go tell Ahav that, uh, that, that I'm here, that, that I, Eliyahu, is here, and I want to talk with, with Queen Ahav, with, with, uh, with, with King Ahav. And as I mentioned, King Ahav, he, he, he and his wife did not like prophets, and chief among them, they really did not like um, Eliyahu Hanavi, Eliyahu the prophet, and they especially didn't like him. In fact, they uh, 
they, he, they, he wanted to kill Eliyahu, and he did a worldwide search to find and kill him. He went to a bunch of different nations and asked them to look for this prophet Eliyahu and find him and, uh, and bring him back to King Ahab and kill him. So Ovadia, in response to this uh, request from, from Eliyahu to go and, and tell King Ahab that he was, that, uh, that, that, that uh, Eliyahu wanted to meet him, Ovadia says, Machatati, what's my sin? What did I do wrong that basically you're sending me on this suicide mission? Because um, Ovadia was worried that um, when Ovadia goes to tell King Ahab that, that Eliyahu's here, then Eliyahu will go somewhere that, that, that basically the Ruach Hashem, the spirit of Hashem will take, um, the prophet Eliyahu will take him somewhere that, that, uh, that Ovadia doesn't know. And then once, and, and basically once King Ahab and Ovadia can't find uh, Eliyahu, then King Ahab is going to kill uh, Ovadia in his place. That's what Ovadia is worried about. And that's why he, he thinks, what's my sin? Basically, why are you sending me on this suicide mission? Um, but uh, in the end, he, he ends up going and addressing King Ahab. And uh, the reason the commentaries say that Eliyahu didn't just go directly to King Ahab, instead, he sort of went through this intermediary. He went through first Ovadia and then to, to get to King Ahab. The reason is, is because uh, he is because uh, Eliyahu wanted King Ahab to know that the drought was because of his own actions, because of his own idol worship, and not his servant's fault, not not his servant Ovadia's fault. Um, so therefore, since he went through, uh, since since the message that the drought was going to end was coming through Ovadia, then the king would know that it wasn't Ovad that the the drought was not Ovadia's fault. Okay, so King Ahab calls um, Eliyahu, and he, uh, King Ahab uh, says to Eliyahu, he says, Ocher Yisrael, the troubler of Israel. And Eliyahu retorts back to him in a very sharp way. He says basically, um, Adarabah, which means, you know, the, he says the opposite is true. He says, you actually are the cause of trouble for all of Israel. So, King Ahab sees Eliyahu and says, you know, Ocher Israel, you're, you're causing all this trouble. And Eliyahu says, no, it's the opposite. King Ahab, you're the one with your sins. Um, you're the one that's actually causing trouble to Israel. And what's truly remarkable about this uh, encounter is that King Ahab did this nationwide international search to hunt down and kill Eliyahu. But when King Ahab actually faces Eliyahu, he sort of wimps out and, in fact, is even sort of slapped back by Eliyahu because Eliyahu says, you, you know, you think that I, I'm the one causing trouble in Israel? No, it's your, it's your fault. And, um, and, and Eliyahu uh, basically puts King Ahab back in his place. And King Ahab, instead of killing Eliyahu, quite to the contrary, um, agrees to Eliyahu's scheme um, to basically have this battle of prophets um, so what's interesting is he, so, so, so Eliyahu tells King Ahab, bring, um, 450 of Baal prophets and another 400 of another type of prophet, another type of, uh, idol worshiper. So in total, 850, um, idol worshiping 
prophets and bring them to um bring them to 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 Har Carmel bring them to Mount Carmel and I also will meet you there and uh the Abarbanel says that King Ahab must have thought that the reason that Eliyahu wanted to gather all of these uh all of these prophets is so that they would be able to pray for that drought uh to end to come to an end but once all the prophets and uh all, all the people get to to um Mount Carmel then they realize that wait a minute this is actually a sort of a competition between who the real prophet is is are the real prophets these idol worshiping Baal uh prophets or are they or is the real prophet um uh is is the real prophet uh Hashem is Hashem the real god with Eliyahu as his prophet um so basically it's sort of a meet me at the playground sort of moment meet me at at Har Carmel and we'll uh we'll we'll duel it out um so so anyways the test is an interesting the, the duel between which prophet is real which which gods are real is uh an interesting one so basically uh um Eliyahu challenges the people and he he says how long will you dance between two opinions because as i mentioned the jewish people they were both idol worshipers and jewish practicing jewish customs so how long are you going to be jewish and idol worshipers you can't have two at the same time these are mutually exclusive and uh he says if if hashem is is god then go after him if baal is god then go after him and i heard a commentary that said how can you say if baal is god go after him that seems you know what what are, it, it, it under the uh possible circumstance that 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 uh Baal actually ends up winning this test then would the people is is uh Eliyahu really recommending that that the people should go and follow Baal so the commentaries say that basically it's better to exclusively follow God um it it it's it's better to almost exclusively follow a false prophet as opposed to following sort of a mix of Judaism and idol worship because if you realize that your false prophet is false then you are sort of a total free agent to come to come over to Judaism on the other hand if you realize that uh if you're partially Jewish but partially an idol worshipper and you realize your idol work your your particular idol worship is not true anymore then it's likely you're just going to find another uh idol to worship so that's why sort of uh basically Eliyahu makes this ultimatum either stop dancing between two opinions either choose god or choose the uh the idol baal so here's the test the test is each person each each uh you know sort of god gets a bull and slaughters it and puts it on an altar puts it on wood and without lighting a match without any fire they have to simply call out the name of their god and whoever um whoever god responds with fire is the one and true god so if it's baal then then that fire will consume the bull and if it's uh if it's ashem then then his bull will be slaughtered so uh the people agree and they give um they give baal or, or so basically eliahu gives baal first dibs 
on choosing which uh, which bowl they want because there's two bowls there and possibly the people of Baal they could have an excuse and say that uh, well you know you had sort of a more flammable bowl so to speak and if he chose first so um, so he he didn't want any uh, Eliyahu didn't want any of those excuses so gave Baal sort of the the first chance in addition uh, that means that Eliyahu would go second and sort of be able to hit the the walk-off home run, so to speak. He would be able to go second and uh, would get sort of all the glory in the end and not have to wait around for the prophets of Baal to be unsuccessful. Um, okay, so then, uh, but, but interestingly, even though uh, Baal will be able to choose what bull they want, it says that Baal took the bull he gave them. So it doesn't seem like he actually, it doesn't seem like Baal actually choose, chose what bull uh, they, they wanted because it says Baal took the bull he gave them. So what does this mean? How do you understand this contradiction between did Baal take the bull that he gave them or did Baal choose the bull for themselves? Which one? So Rashi uh, to, comes to uh, settle this by citing a midrash that says the bull refused to be killed in vain. Basically, the bull refused to be killed for the idol worshiper of Baal. And Eliyahu, the prophet Eliyahu, had to convince the, the, the bull that he, that this particular bull, it would not be a death in vain because um, he would actually serve God as sort of when, when, when that bull did not catch on fire and the Jewish, the, the uh, Eliyahu's bull did catch on fire, then it would sort of be a display to everybody that uh, he, that, 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 that I guess God was the true God, um, that Hashem was the true God. And that's why, so even though at first the bull refused to be killed in vain, ultimately uh, the bull sort of was convinced, uh, according to the Midrash, the bull was convinced by Eliyahu that even though he would be killed for an idol worshiper by an idol worshiper, uh, in the end, that bull also would be, uh, would that e- even the bull that was killed for idol worship is not a, a murder in vain. Um, it would actually kind of go and, and prove that God was the true God. Um, so interesting to note there. Okay, so moving on. Eliyahu ridicules the, uh, the so, 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 so Baal, they, they uh, have their, their 850 prophets and they are calling out, they, they kill, the, they kill the, the bull, and they're crying out from morning until noon, and there's no response. And then they try dancing, and that, and that doesn't work either. Um, so Eliyahu, he sort of chastises them, he ridicules them, he says, yell louder, maybe uh, Baal is busy, maybe he's sleeping, maybe he's on the toilet, maybe he's, uh, you know, fighting enemies. Um, it, he, so, so Eliyahu is sort of making a mockery of, uh, of their, of their, uh, of their idol, of their idol Baal. And, um, Chazal there say that basically the reason that he's, that Eliyahu is making fun of them is because the, uh, the, the prophets, the, the Baal prophets had someone basically go and hide in a, uh, in a in a little cave underneath the altar and when they were ready to light the fire they would sort of give him the message and then 
he would basically light the fire. So it wasn't really going to be a godly fire. It was just going to be a fire lit by some guy under the cave. And that's how they would sort of, uh, with a little bit of sleight of hand, trick the people. But that person was bitten by a snake and was never able to actually light it on fire. Um, so that's why he said, that's why Eliyahu says, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's, you know, using, using the bathroom because, uh, because in reality, it was just a person down there who was going to light the fire, uh, not a godly fire. So anyways, they, the, the, the prophets of Baal, they yell, they even cut themselves until their blood was spurting out, but uh, nothing came of it. And there was no, um, the, the, there was no fire. There was no, there was no godly fire from the idol of Baal. And interestingly, the commentaries say that really this is a pretty similar process to how Jewish, um, uh, you know, sacrifices are done with the exception, of course, of them cutting themselves. But the idea of sort of, uh, the Jewish sacrifices, the idea of killing the animal and putting it on the altar and saying certain prayers and, and singing and doing sort of a dance that you could also find a similar type of custom in uh, in, in Jewish uh, animal sacrifices. Uh, again, with the exception of them cutting themselves, that was strictly um, yeah, that that was unique to to uh, to Baal. But everything else is sort of similar, and that's perhaps why the people got mixed up. That's why the people were practicing both Judaism and idol worship because both practices sort of had some similarities. So. Um, all right, so then the story moves on. So at Mincha time, uh, at that day, Eliyahu, he takes 12 stones corresponding to the 12 tribes, um, and he makes those 12 stones into an altar, and he tells the people to fill the, fill the Mizbeach, fill the altar, and he builds a, he digs a trench. He says, fill the trench uh, with buckets of water, and he actually pours water over the wood and over the, over the altar, over the, over the wooden altar, and uh, this trench three different times, so it's totally soaked with with water. And he says, God of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yisrael, um, it will become known that you are God. And he says, answer me, God, answer me. And um, as a result, fire came and consumed uh, the bull, the wood, the stones, the earth, and even the water. The, it was such a godly fire that it even came and basically burned the water, um, sort of like how the, the Cuyahoga River burned, so to speak, but that was obviously oil, not water. But uh, this also was sort of a godly fire came and even was able to, to burn water. And the people, they were so stunned by this miracle that they fell on their faces and they said, Hashem who... Ha-Elohim, Hashem hu Ha-Elohim, that Hashem, he is God, Hashem, he is God. And we say the same thing at the Ne'ilah service, um, at the very end of Yom Kippur, we say Hashem hu Ha-Elohim, Hashem hu Ha-Elohim, that, that Hashem, he is God, Hashem, he is God. And, you know, just as in this case, where um, the prophet, where the the, the the Jewish people saw this miracle, and ultimately, while you know the the miracle convinced them in that moment that God was real, they sort of resorted after this story. They sort of resorted back to some of their old idolatrous idolatrous practices. Um, and uh, what's fascinating about that is that 
you know, similarly for us on Yom Kippur, that at the end of Yom Kippur at Ne'ilah, we're sort of hungry, we're like emotional in a weird way, we're saying, you know, Hashem, He is God. In reality, the next day, we're probably already going to forget about all that stuff that we said. But even just saying it, the point is, even just saying it once a year um, sort of has this like lasting effect, even if you forget about it the next day. Uh, even just saying it that once a year, even the Jewish people just saying Hashem Hu HaElohim that one time at at uh, at um, Mount Carmel, that was enough to sort of motivate them through, uh, y- even though they would, again, resort back to idol worship, that was sort of enough to give them some courage and confidence uh, to, to move forward. And just as an interesting note, in general, it's absolutely prohibited to give any, uh, to, to, to make a, um, a mizbeach, to make a, an altar anywhere outside of Temple Mount. But in the Gemara in Yavamos, it says that a prophet, um, a Navi, that he can make, he can violate one law sort of on a one-off basis in a time of urgency. And obviously this was a time of urgency when the people were practicing idolatry um, and he was able to convince them to, even though he, he even though um, Eliyahu made in a, uh, a Mizbeach, made an altar in a foreign land, he made it not on the Temple Mount, but instead he made it on uh, on on um, Mount Carmel. Uh, but that, again, as Yavamo said, that was sort of just a one-off time that he broke the the law. Had he broken it more than more than once, then uh, it would have been that Eliyahu is not a true prophet. But since he just broke it once in a time of urgency, it's still a true prophet. Okay, so to recap some of what I talked about. Um, so I talked about how basically there was this, the Jewish people at the time, 600 years after the golden calf, they were, um, they, they were worshiping both the, both Judaism, but at the same time they were worshiping idol worship and no, uh, the, the, the best sort of, um, uh, implication, the, the best, uh, way that this was, uh, described was the fact that King Ahab, the Jewish king, married this non-Jewish idol-worshipping queen of King Izavil, of sorry, of Queen Izavil, and Queen Izavil was on a manhunt to find all of the Jewish prophets and kill them. And uh, so as a result, Ovadia, the servant of King Ahab, um, the uh, Ovadia, again, who, according to the Gemara, was even more righteous than Avraham Avinu, Avraham, that was, uh, you know, our, our forefather, um, he was, Avadia was even more righteous than, than Avraham, and Ovadia saved a hundred of these prophets that were going to be killed by Queen Azavel, that he saved a hundred of those prophets um, by basically stuffing them in caves and hiding them away from the wicked Queen Azavel. So King Ahav, he tells his servant to go and basically find some water because this was during a three-year uh, a three-year drought. He tells him, go find some water to keep our livestock alive. And Eliyahu, Eliyahu finds Ovadia um, and Eliyahu tells Ovadia to go and tell King Ahav that, uh, that I'm here. Go tell King Ahav that, that Eliyahu's here. So King Ahav, he wanted to kill Eliyahu. He did it, in fact, even in a worldwide search, an international search uh, to find and kill King Ahav. Um, so Ovadia is scared. Ovadia says, Machatati, what's my sin? 
because he was worried that once um, once Ovadia goes, w- once he goes and tells King Ahav that he found Eliyahu, then Eliyahu would be sort of swept away by a Ruach Hashem. He would be swept away by the Spirit of Hashem, be taken somewhere that they don't know. And then ultimately Ovadia, when Ovadia couldn't find uh, Eliyahu, Ovadia would be killed. But nonetheless, despite his worry, King uh, Ovadia did go as instructed and tell King Ahav that Ovad, that uh, Eliyahu was there. And and uh, King Ahav tells Eliyahu, uh, he calls him an Ocher Yisrael, a troubler of Israel. And Eliyahu retorts, Eliyahu says, it's the opposite. You are the one that are troubling Israel. You, King Ahav, you're the one that's causing trouble uh, by the fact that you're leading them toward idol worship. And um and and uh I, I mentioned how shocking that conversation is because King Ahav wanted to kill Eliyahu and in the end it's actually Eliyahu that puts that sort of puts King Ahav back in his place. Um okay, so then they meet at Mount um at Mount Carmel with four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal and four hundred and fifty prophets of a different idol worshiper. So in total eight hundred and fifty um prophets for the idol worshippers against uh, one singular prophet for Hashem, uh, namely Eliyahu, and they meet at Mount Carmel. And as I mentioned, the Abarbanel thought that Ahav, the Abarbanel said that Ahav just thought that they were gathering to pray for their drought to end. But in reality, they were there sort of as a, as a face-off. Who was going to win? Um, you know, how long will you dance between two opinions? Uh, Eliyahu challenges them. How long are you going to practice both Judaism and idolatry? When are you going to choose one or, or one or the other? Um, so he says, uh, Eliyahu says, if Hashem is God, go after him. If Baal is God, go after him. And then we get to the showdown. Again, the showdown is they each had a bull. They slaughter the bull. And then whoever had sort of a godly fire sweep up and kill um, and, and sweep up and, and, uh, and, and burn the burn the bull that would be the true God. Um, okay, so anyways, so Baal, he had first dibs. The, the prophets of Baal had first dibs uh, on which bull they wanted to pick. However, then the, uh, it, the, the Haftorah says Baal took the bull he gave them. So I said, this is a contradiction. Which one is it? Is it the fact that did, did Baal have first dibs in choosing the bull? Or did Baal accept whatever bull was given to them? So the contradiction is resolved by Rashi citing a midrash that the bull refused to be killed. So it ran. The bull refused uh, to be killed because it thought it was going to be killed in vain. It thought it was going to be killed to idol worshippers. So it ran to um, it, it. It ran to try to escape, and it it ran to um, to Eliyahu. And Eliyahu says, "No, your death is not going to be in vain because by you not burning uh, is going to be proof that God is real because my bull is going to burn." Um, so even though he didn't, that bull didn't sort of have the spotlight of being burned by a godly fire, it was also playing an important role. Um, okay, so, uh, Eliyahu, so, so then the 450 Baal prophets, they kill the, the bull and they're reciting different prayers from morning until noon. They have no response. They try dancing around. It doesn't work. And Eliyahu ridicules them. He says, yell louder, maybe your your idol Baal is busy sleeping or, or using the bathroom. Um, and uh, Chazal explained that they had, the, the prophets of Baal, 
had a snake, so the prophets of Baal had someone sort of go down in a cave underneath the uh, altar and try to light the fire. So basically, it had to be a godly fire, but the prophets of Baal tried to sort of play some sleight of hand and not have a godly magical fire uh, come, but instead there would be this prophet that would light the um, that would that would light the uh, the the altar on fire simply just sort of below ground. But that person was uh, bitten by a snake, so he never had the opportunity. So that's why, they, as much as they were yelling, no fire was coming because their sort of their man to light the fire was uh, was dead underneath the 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 cave because the snake bit him. So anyways, they were uh, in desperation mode. They they yelled. They even cut themselves until blood, blood splurted out. This was the custom of the, the people there, that they would cut themselves uh, in hopes that, uh, that, that the fire, that this godly fire would come. But nothing happened because they were uh, trying. The, the, so basically the idol, uh, the idolatrous god was, um, was, was not powerful. And therefore, so at Mincha time, Eliyahu, he takes 12 stones corresponding to the 12 tribes. He makes an altar. He tells the people to basically pour water over the wooden altar. And despite these wet logs um, and the, 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 soaked, the soaked logs, they, he says, God of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yisrael, uh, make it known that you are God. Answer me. And God does answer, in fact, by having this fire come and consume the bowl, the wood, the stones, the earth, and the wa- even the water is consumed. And uh, the people, they fall on their faces. They say, Hashem hu ha-elohim, Hashem hu ha-elohim, Hashem, he is the God, Hashem, he is God. Um, and as I said, this is what we say at Neila on Yom Kippur. And, uh, and just one interesting note that I didn't mention the first time around is that when it says God of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yisrael, this was very similar to what Moshe said when Moshe was repenting for the Jewish people uh, worshiping the, the golden calf. Um, because the, basically the idea being that when bad things happen to us, uh, it's most sort of efficacious to look back to our ancestors, Abraham, Yitzchak, Yisrael, uh, uh, you know, Yaakov, and by sort of uh, saying our name, by invoking the names of our ancestors, that's a way to have that, that God will sort of feel some kind of compassion for us. And similarly, uh, Eliyahu, he, was, he called on Avraham, Yitzchak, and, and uh, Yaakov to, uh, to, to, to basically uh, make known that Hashem is the true God. And in fact, uh, in the end, the people say Hashem who Elokim, Hashem who Elokim, God, uh, Hashem He is God, Hashem is God. And as I said, that this means that we, we say this at Neila on Yom Kippur because even just saying it once a year, um, that it is is sort of enough to make us last uh, for the next year. Okay, so reading my poem, Eliyahu came to end a three-year drought. And to decide who is the true God without leaving a doubt. Prophet versus prophet, what would transpire? The bowl, water, woods, and stones were consumed in a holy fire. And with that, uh, this has been the whole Haftorah and L'chaim L'chaim.